the topic, of course, of the resurrection. If you were asked the question, I trust you could answer in one way or another. I will provide the answer to the question, um, of course, over the course of the next few moments, but consider this question on your own mind just before we progress through the text. How important to the Christian faith, again, the claims of the Christian faith from top to bottom, every bit of the Christian faith, how important to the Christian faith is the resurrection? I trust, again, that you would be able to quickly come forth with a solid answer of the importance of the resurrection wherein your hope does lie. But consider the comment from Reformed theologian Louis Burkhoff. He writes, quote, The atoning work of Christ, if it was to be effective at all, now again, think of the effectiveness of the atonement. That's a staggering statement if you're considering the effectiveness of the atonement at all. So again, Louis Burkhoff, quote, the atoning work of Christ, if it was to be effective at all, had to terminate not in death, but in life, end quote. I trust that each of us would grasp that, and that's why we're here on this Lord's Day, this celebration of resurrection. However, considering Burkhoff's comment pushed further with what Calvin himself notes, Calvin says, quote, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us, all that he has suffered and all that he has accomplished for salvation for the human race remains useless and of no value to us, end quote. So again, on the one hand, we have the significance of the resurrection, that that nothing matters in the story of redemption if Christ has not been raised, if it's to be effective at all. So, So we know its effectiveness. And yet Calvin says, however, we must recall, if we know its effectiveness, but we see it from over here looking over there, and it remains outside and apart from us, then it has no effect or value for us individually. So the duty before us this morning is to unite those two truths. The effectiveness of Christ in His atoning death that terminated not in death but in life. Indeed, the Lord is risen. And then how do we individually bridge the gap between what He has done truly and united into us to be of great value effectually for our own life of salvation? How do we bridge the gap between Uh, Christ for us and Christ in us. So this morning I want to address it as the way of obtaining righteousness before God. I want us to consider how we obtain righteousness before God. I'm going to do this in three points for our time this morning as we walk through Romans 4. I'll give those three points up front just so we have kind of some compass as to where we're going. Um, number one, point number one about the way, right? So, so it's true, it, 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 this has taken place, but it remains over there, and we remain over here, so we need that which is true over there to be united to us right here. What is the way of obtaining this righteousness before God? Number one, the way of obtaining righteousness before God has always been and will forever remain the same. 
This is significant, and we'll develop it in just a moment. But please, three points for this morning. Number one, the way of obtaining righteousness. So at this point in, the, in our morning together, if you have any question about being made righteous before God, any question at this point in your own soul before the Lord on this Lord's day, where you are at in relationship to the righteousness of God, any question, let me address the way in which you receive that righteousness. And let me start by saying it this way. Number one, the way of obtaining righteousness before God has always been and will forever remain the same. Number two, the way of obtaining righteousness is through faith, of which we will develop. Number two, the way of obtaining righteousness, it, is, it remains the same. And number two, that way is through faith. Finally and thirdly, we will then just briefly develop number three, faith receives the promises of God in Jesus Christ. That is what faith does. Faith receives the promises of God in Jesus Christ. Back to number one, then we'll begin as we walk through the fourth chapter. I'll make one point about this because Romans 4 is so important for our understanding and articulating of the nuances and the big picture of the gospel. In the Reformation period, there was more volumes published and written by ministers, pastors, and theologians on the book of Romans than any other book. It's so central to our understanding of the gospel, the book of Romans. This is so significant for shaping our discussion this morning about the resurrection. So let's develop number one. The way of obtaining righteousness before God has always been and will forever remain the same. How do we get there? If you have a text before you, look at chapter 4. Romans 4, beginning in verse 1. And then we'll jump around a little bit and tackle Romans 4 together. Verse 1, what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? So again, here Paul addressing the issue of salvation in a way of obtaining righteousness before God in Romans 4, and he begins with Abraham. Drop down to verse 6 as this develops through the passage, and notice he notes yet another historical figure in redemptive history, another significant piece, verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Then jump to our passage primarily this morning within chapter 4 to verse 22. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Again, he's addressing Abraham, so stay with me on that piece. We're just building the bridge of, number one, the way of obtaining righteousness before God has always been and forever will be and remain the same. Verse 22, that is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 23, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. Do you see, we traveled from Abraham to David to you. 
This is so significant because we see that it was clearly written for the edification of Abraham and his own generation in the training of righteousness. Look again, look at verse 22. But the words, it was counted to him, this whole issue of righteousness before God, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. In other words... We possess the sacred history of Holy Scripture, the Old and the New Testaments, in order that we may learn in all ages and in all locations the way of obtaining righteousness for all men and women has always been and forever will remain the same. This is so significant. Consider just briefly, when you think of the Old Testament and you see so many different pictures in the Old Testament, so many different dramas developing, step back and consider with me just one moment from what Paul just said in Romans 4. It was written not for them alone, but for us also. Consider under Moses, this would mean that the land, right? A central figure of the drama of the Old Testament, Israel in the possession of the land. Consider the priesthood the sacrificial system, the temple, the place of worship. Many other aspects of the Old Testament were not. And this is important for us as Christians to grasp as we read our Old Testament. In fact, many of us are probably somewhere, I don't know, somewhere in uh, maybe Numbers, Deuteronomy by now, in the read-through of the year. Right? So how are we reading it? We're doing the read-through the year. We're just jamming through the Old Testament. What is the significance of it? What's taking place under Moses? I'm reading about the land, right, and their possession of it, and the land spitting them out from it. Yes, and I'm reading about the priests, and I'm reading about the sacrificial system. In fact, most of us on that journey, we're through Leviticus. So you have all kinds of wild and crazy sacrificial things going on there. And you're reading, you're thinking, I don't don't understand, How, how is this applying? Consider the temple Again, what we read in the Old Testament sacred history of the people of God were not ends, like, you know, it terminates in the temple. It terminates in the priesthood. It terminates in the land. That's what I learned. They were ends. No, Paul says here in Romans 4. They were not ends in and of themselves, but rather they pointed ahead to the way of righteousness. That's what it's doing in sacred history. It's pointing forward. It's pointing the people of God in every age and in every location at the way of obtaining righteousness before our sovereign God has always been and forever will remain the same. Think about this just for a moment also in application. Hopefully by considering Paul saying all that was written was not written for them alone, but for our sakes also. means that as we begin to walk through Romans 4 this morning, this text is decisive and immediate for your understanding of salvation before the Lord. So again, on this Easter morning as we gather before Romans 4, we see a text that Paul says, again, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. This text in the next few moments will prove to be decisive and an immediate 
understanding of salvation for each of us this morning. But consider this. If I say to you so far, point number one, the way of obtaining righteousness before God has always been and forever will remain the same. It begs a question, doesn't it? Think with me again. The way of obtaining has always been the same. Begs a question. What is the way of obtaining? If it's always been the same, and people throughout sacred history have always obtained righteousness before God through the same means or in the same way, we stand here before us and say, well, then spit it out. What's the way? Well, this brings us to point number two. The way of obtaining righteousness in all ages, in every epoch of human history, is through faith. The way, so if the way has always been the same, and that means for me this morning, right here on this Lord's Day, the way of obtaining righteousness before God is the same as it's always been, then please tell me right now, what is that way? And the way is through faith. Look at how we see that in the text very clearly. Join with me in verse 1 again of Romans 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Again, Paul reaching all the way back to this situation with Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now he moves from Abraham to David. Verse 6, just as David also. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing new from Abraham to David. Nothing new from David to you. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness, and notice the last piece is significant apart from works. You see, Paul contrasts very clearly here in Romans 4, 1 through 6, which is significant for each of us, if this has always been the way that it always has worked before God. Paul contrasts working with believing. These aren't, you know, working in tandem, like a little bit of working in a little bit of believing. Paul's setting them in opposition to one another, rivals in the human heart. Notice again, verse 3. Look at verse 3 very carefully. Abraham believed instead of doing what? In contrast to working. These These are not bedfellows. They don't work in tandem. Again, they are set in contrast in the gospel. 
Abraham believed. That means he didn't work. Verse 5, look at verse 5 again. Instead of working in the place of human effort, in the place of striving, he did what? He trusted. Think about that just for a moment. The clear, stark, black and white contrast in the announcement of the gospel between believing and working. Think about it just for a moment as it prompts to us from the way that I framed it in point number two, the way of obtaining is through faith. Well then, what does the contrast between working and trusting teach us about the nature of faith? Think about that for, with me just for a moment. If, if believing is in contrast to working, trusting is in contrast to human striving, then forget working and forget striving for a minute. Just, they're out. Bring back in believing and trusting. Forget about working. What does that teach us about the nature of believing or the nature of trusting? Know what I mean? Everyone's like, I don't know. Right, think, right, it, it clearly means something, right? It, it does mean at least this. It's not working. We do know that. We do know it's not striving to be a better me. We do know that. No, it might. No, it can't. He said it's this versus that. It's not some of this and some of that. So, so, okay, 